podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Well, that was an easy viewing. Um, probably wasn't an easy game to play as well. But the Reds finally win on the road 2-1 against Spurs. Um, yeah, much relief, much relief. And joining me on this podcast, I have an incredible panel who are going to talk about the game and talk about the key moments and um, dissect the game. And I have two incredible voices, uh, contributors on the podcast. So first up, I'm going to introduce to you Dave. Dave Horrocks, welcome back. Hey there, Nina. It's great to be talking to you, especially this time on a Sunday night after a bloody win because it's been a long time coming on the road, hasn't it? It really has. It really has. And I remember, I think the last time we did like a Sunday game was, I think it was the Arsenal game, wasn't it? So it's great to stick it to a North London team. And um, it took us a while, but yet yeah, we got there. But Dave, it's great to have you back on. And joining Dave on the podcast, um, it used to be a familiar voice on the Nina Kaza show and Anfield Index in general, but he took a little sabbatical and I am absolutely honoured to have him back on this podcast. It's Mr. Andy Wales. Andy, gallivanting everywhere, but you still have time for us and I am so flattered. <laughs> gallivanting, I like that word. Yeah, it's been a while, <laughs> nearly as long as, uh, it's, it's been nearly as long since Liverpool's last away win in the Premier League, so yeah. I think I've aged about 10 years after that second half, but yeah, still looking forward to talking about that one. Yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. And hopefully, um, uh, you know, um, we can give some tips on uh, anti-aging and watching the Reds. Uh, yeah, um, let's let's go um, first. We we have a caller and it's a familiar voice. So I'm going to go straight to him because I do appreciate that it is late. So, Kieran, welcome back. Thank you very much, Nina. No, it's an absolute pleasure, Kieran. Uh, great to have you back on. Um, also, um, quite nice to have you on after a win as well, because I know that like, we've all been quite disheartened by what we've been watching. So the floor is yours. Take it away. Well, usually I do be very positive when we won games, but I have to say that I thought we were fortunate to mm -hmm. get the three points in the end because mm -hmm. I thought in the second half we were very, very poor and we were hanging on for dear life. And, and look... You know there were, you know there was a wee bit concern in the second half. We got the points, which is the main thing. But like you said before, you know I thought we were, I thought we got out of jail tonight with the points in the end because I thought second half we really struggled. But you know, oh yeah, look, we just have to take this, take the three points, and we move on to Southampton next week, and hopefully we go into that World Cup break looking slightly more positive about things. You know. 
And Kieran, whilst you're there, obviously you've made some really good points there, and I do agree with you because it was not easy viewing, and I think we'll all agree on that. We'll we'll touch on that as as we go on. But whilst I have you on on the pod, I just want to ask you a quick one as well. You know, with regards to you know, um, we were lucky there. I mean, like surely that like, that's maybe a positive that we could maybe take away from the game, and maybe the the lads can as well in the sense that they can see yeah, out the yeah. result. Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe we probably needed a, a better look where we probably won a game where, where you know, if, if the game had ended 2-2, it probably would have been the fair result. But, look, we got the points and, you know, and that's the positive I will take from that. But I thought the performance wasn't particularly great, especially the second half. Uh, yeah, um, I think plenty would agree with you on that one. Yep, and the amount of times they actually battled the crossbar as well. But Kieran, thank you so much for that. And uh, you know, yeah, your, your balanced balanced opinion on on the game um, and and the performance, right, Andy and Dave. I'm gonna we'll, we'll touch on some of those key moments, and obviously we'll talk about the second half and just in general. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. But first up, first. Uh, Andy, I'll come to you first. Team lineup. What did you make of our team lineup? And also, like you know, with Son missing from theirs and Kulusevski on the bench, and you know, obviously we know Richarlison was out, so we knew you know how Spurs were going into this game. But what did you make of our lineup? To be fair, uh, there there wasn't too much um, else that Klopp could have done in terms of the lineup. I think Um, the team practically picked itself in terms of. Uh, players being available in form and fitness and all the rest of it, it's it, it was pretty much the, the best sort of the best eleven that we could put out there. Um, my only concern was, would we go for the diamond again? Because I, you know, in two games I saw as much as I need to ever see of that diamond. I really don't need to see that ever again. Um, but it was, yeah, it was more of the four-three-three, and then we were four-four-two out of out of possession. So it was, at least it was well structured. That was the that was the one thing. It, at least it was well structured, and we we mostly had the players to do that. And I mean, we obviously we'll get into the uh, the more specifics of of Darwin Nunes, but I thought he, he gave um, a really good team display in terms of him playing mostly as a left winger, but. Um, yeah, I thought, obviously, like you said, pre-match, the, the big thing really was about Spurs and all the plays that they were missing, particularly their attacking options. And there was a real opportunity there for us to do something. So, yeah, it, it was, for me, a fairly balanced lineup and, and all we could really have expected. Absolutely, yep, 4-3-3. And... Um... Dave, I'm going to come to you because you've been crying out for this for quite a while since we've been doing these podcasts and we've been on the back of losing. So um, it talks to me about the lineup. I, um, I think Andy's pretty spot on there. The the best that he could potentially pick in terms of the injuries that we have as well. We shouldn't forget them as well. But what did you make of the team lineup? I think the only uh, selection, if you like, that I thought he could have gone a different way was maybe he could have played Henderson for Elliot. And I thought it was a brave move to play Elliot. You know, going forward, Elliot's been brilliant, but out of possession, he can get a little bit caught out. Brilliant against the likes of City and whatever. But, you know, we have seen him go to sleep a little bit. And I thought against Spurs, you know, away from home, I thought he might just choose Henderson as that more experienced head. But I'm glad he didn't. Um, yes. You know, so <laughs> he's gone. He's got more minutes on the pitch now, Elliot. I, I think he he still continues for me to to look like he's growing into that role to really solidify himself as a starter. 
But yeah, I think the rest of the team just picked itself. And and I suppose the other thing I was thinking was, well, if we did need to change things, there's not a lot on the bench again, you know. So all of our attacking options, i.e. Mo and Nunes, are pretty much on the pitch. You know, there's only really Carvalho as an attacking player that we could have brought on to change things if we needed to. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. And again, you know, with with the lack of attackers as well, like I'm just craving to see Bobby kind of get a break as well. Um, you know, because I think he he's due a rest as well because, you know, I think, you know, his performances are kind of like tailing off a little as well, just to kind of freshen things up as well. But and then in an ideal world, you would maybe start Mosala, Nunes, and Diaz on the left. But like you said, guys, um, these are the he hasn't got much wiggle room, and uh, he played the best that he potentially could. And you know, just on on a side note, guys, and Andy, I'll come to you. I mean, what did you make of Konate um, making his way back as um, at the starting um, uh, centre back pairing with Virgil Van Dijk? Um, it's good to see him, right? Delighted to see him back. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, um, many people on here will probably know that I was a huge advocate for Ibrahima Kanate for probably a couple of years before we actually signed him. Mm. Um, he is, I mean, just like Virgil, physically is a is a mountain, but he's so much more. You know, the heart of a lion. He's so quick, strong, good in the air, good technique. His positioning is good. He's, you know, his reading of the play is getting better and better, and and all, all of that obviously will be helped by playing alongside someone as good as Virgil Van Dijk. But so it, you know, it was great to see him back. I thought he was tremendous in midweek when he played against Napoli. Yep. And uh, Aussie men was an absolute handful, and his uh, for Joe Gomez um, away to uh, to Napoli earlier in the season. And you know he's been a, he's been a, a handful, shall we say, for for lots of other defenders. But Kanate first first start back, pocketing. He 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 just looked after him uh, in midweek, and it was tremendous. And today I thought he he won an awful lot. He did. He again that sort of heart of a line thing. He was everywhere. He covered a lot of ground. He was stepping mm-hmm. forwards, trying to do things. Not everything came off, and perhaps he could have been a little closer to Kane on the goal. Although I think that's just, to be fair, it's just a good play from Harry Kane. But yeah, he he was he was everywhere, stepping in, trying to carry the ball, trying to make things happen. And it's for me, it's it's very very reassuring to see him alongside Virgil because I just don't feel like we're going to get physically intimidated or. Or, or dominated, or or even pressured, or worried when we've got them two together at the centre. So it's it's you know it's going to have to be something else. You're going to have to work on something else to get him behind us. So I thought I thought he was uh, he was very very good today, and and I'm, as I said, I'm delighted to see him back. Yeah, I, I thought he was um, a, a big big um, you know. Um, a big positivity in terms of the lineup, Dave. And one thing that I kind of look at as well is obviously you need that aerial kind of presence in in Ibrahima Kanati from a defensive sense and and an attacking sense. And another thing I kind of noticed, and I want to get your thoughts on him as well, and just the, just the centre back pairing in general. One thing that I kind of noticed about Ibrahima Kanati, certainly in the first half, was um, you know when Cecinia and uh, Perisic were kind of, I think you know, I think it's a kind of rule of thumb now where. 
people tend to attack our right hand side but I like the anticipation of Ibrahim Konate where he was kind of I don't know he was kind of tucking in a little closer with Trent to um, help him with that space and I really appreciate that don't get me wrong it's a risky game you know because you leave yourself with, with a lot of space between you and your centre-back pairing in Virgil van Dijk but for most parts I thought he he did that really well yeah, and he was everywhere, wasn't he, in that first mm. half especially. And I almost think if he's not on the pitch in that second half, I, I think we walk away with the draw there, or maybe even mm. worse. I, I think he was that good today. But it, it was in the first half, it, it was just the way he was aggressively pressing yes. for the midfield as well. It was like, crikey. It felt like we had, a, had another man in midfield, so... Yeah, I agree with everything that you guys have said there. I think he was an absolute monster today. I thought it was great to see him back. And to be honest, I, I thought, I know obviously Virgil's the more experienced person there, but I, I thought he outshone him today. I thought mm-hmm. you know, Virgil yeah. on a couple of occasions looked like he, he was a tad wobbly. Um, he never got punished for it. But uh, yeah, I just thought Canate is so glad. And I just hope he, he stays fit. Well, it was a really, really um, quick kind of start from the Reds, um, Dave. And I'll stick with you. Ten minutes, Liverpool score a goal. Um, what I found absolutely alarming about this was, um, obviously, it was a bit of a switch of play. Robbo gets the ball. I, I, he had so much space and, you know, nobody there to kind of, um, you know, challenge him or anything. And obviously, he finds Nunes, who who puts it on a plate for Mosala. But just how lovely, well-worked goal was that? And, you know, we're speaking about the attackers, but, you know, Nunes sort of, um, as he's playing more and more and getting more involved in these Liverpool games and playing for Liverpool, um, the link-up between him and Salah, there seems to be like they, they're finding a natural understanding. But talk to me about that goal. And I was just alarmed at the amount of space that Robbo had. I mean, I'm not complaining, but, you know, where was the cover? Yeah, I I don't know. I thought I felt like they they were pressing us quite well. And and look, if they'd have won today, they'd have been third place and and five points off top. So they've done really well. I know they're missing some players, some key players, but uh, you know they've still got that momentum. So we've done really well to get a result there. And I felt like you know they they were pressing us okay in that first half. It actually starts off when Mo gets the ball played into him, and he has this lovely little layoff to the inside. And then we start this kind of one-touch passing. And uh, you know what? It had me thinking back to, you know, a few years ago where we seemed to do this at will and just cut teams in half with a counter-attack. And before we'd scored it, I was actually thinking back to that time when we used to do this quite a lot. But yeah, I think Robertson did have a lot of space. But I think if I'm Spurs, I, I'm moderately okay with Robertson having the ball there. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. But the way he fires it into Nunes, yes. so he has to control it quite well. And then Nunes thinks, right, Mo, you're going to have an equally fierce pass shot at you. But the way he just kills it, bobbles up. And in that one movement, you know, he just buries it in the bottom corner. I thought it was a, a brilliant, brilliant team goal to watch. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I felt it, it wasn't us back at our best, but it just had that kind of bit of nostalgia for for when we were at our best and we used to just be able to play this one-touch attacking football and and just cut teams in half. Dave, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. Andy, I'm going to come to you and I want want to get your thoughts on the goal as well. And one thing that I kind of liked was the fact that we weren't really wasteful, that we got the chance and we, we took it. 
And, you know, I feel like Liverpool are sometimes guilty of maybe trying to walk the ball into the net, being wasteful. And as they're wasteful, the other team tends to grow into the game. This was kind of expected because I think one thing we've kind of noticed is Spurs have been going behind and they don't start off the best in, in the first half. It seems to be a pattern with them. But I want to get your thoughts on the goal, um, the, the team play, the build-up to it, and um, also Mo Salah's finish. It was a lovely finish. Mm. Um, it, for me, it was it was like the, the culmination of the, those opening ten minutes because we got off to a good start, and that that was a good yeah. thing as well. Mm-hmm. Because so often this season we have not started games well, so we got off to a good start. We were very very positive. Spurs were on the back foot, and and ironically, with better decision making, and yes, he is still raw, Nunes, and he is. There's a lot of room for development there for him. Um, and perhaps that will be something that that it will be a part of his development. But with better decision making, Nunes could easily have set uh, set Salah up for a couple of goals before he actually did set that one up. Mm-hmm. Um, on the goal itself, I mean, one thing I did like is as the ball comes out of defence, it actually goes into Mo Salah. So he's the one who ends the move, but he's yes, the one yes. who does the nice little layoff into midfield, and then he turns and he's off and, and he's going into the box. And obviously, yeah, then the ball comes across. And it's good after, like I said, after those couple of earlier opportunities where Nunes, for me, makes the wrong choice, he then makes the right choice as it comes into him, lays it into Salah, and it's just that touch and finish on the half volley. It's just lovely, really, really lovely. And it's more about, it's more of, I should say, the the more Salah that we were used to seeing you know that you give him opportunities in the box, and he is pretty clinical. And as you know, lo and behold, as we've moved him in off the touchline and get him closer to the centre of the pitch, he's scoring more goals. He's getting involved in more goals, and and you know the team is scoring more goals, and we're we're starting to play a little better. So it was for me lovely team, a lovely team goal in terms of the build up. Lovely finish from Salah. But really, it was the rewarding culmination of the of a really good positive start from us. It really was, and I think we might have another caller. Let's see if we can bring him on. It's Mr. Justin Wells. Justin, are you there? I am here. How are you? Uh, so much better after that win, Justin. But you know, um, I want to get your thoughts and how are you feeling? And please, you know, fire away. I mean, it was a it's a, it's a tough away win against a tough opponent and a tough place to play. So you just have to. Take it, be happy with about it. You can talk about the performances because that's the point of this podcast. But in the end, you know what? This is what this team's been missing this season is the gutting those types of things out, and we got it. But the, the point I want to raise, the question I want to bring up is just how good is Ibu Panate? That's, that's really what I want to talk about. Just how good is this guy at this age to be able to come in, really not have much, many, you know, many games to develop rhythm, and just boss it? I think everyone here absolutely loves Ibu Kanate. And I, I spoke to Guy Drinkle on the Euro Incision podcast and he goes that he doesn't get the respect or the plaudits that he absolutely deserves. I mean, Justin, World Cup is coming up. I mean, he's been injured. Do you think he gets a call up? Yeah, he's too good not to. France's uh, centre-back situation is not what it was at the beginning of the season because you could see... You know, Saliba will be one. Maybe Lengle, who you saw for Spurs today, will be another, although I doubt it. Uva Makamo, I mean, could be in the picture, but 
who else is really in the picture for you know playing center back for France besides those players and Varane, who is also hurt and inconsistent this season. So I think, unfortunately, he might be picked. Unfortunately, yeah, because we're just thinking about the Liverpool perspective here. Yeah, no, Ibrahim Akanate has been absolutely exceptional and um, ideal for, um, you know, this kind of opponent as well in terms of Harry Kane and, you know, what they have to offer as well. No, I think we all absolutely love him. Uh, Justin, we've already spoken about um, Ibrahim Akanate. Is there anything else you wish to raise? No, I will stop talking because I didn't listen to the first half of the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sh- oh, damn, you know, I should have asked you what you wanted to talk about. But yes, we all echo your sentiments that we all think Ibrahima Konate is the real deal. And uh, Andy Wales is somewhere in Germany right now on this podcast, also looking very, very smug. But yes, thank you so much for your call, Justin. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And hi, Andy. Hey, Justin. And, and yes, my video's not on, but I am very, very smug. There you go. So lots of loving for Ibrahima Kanate there, right? Let's let's kind of move on. And um, Dave, I'll come to you because obviously within like five minutes after that, they rattled the crossbar and it was so bizarre, right? Because I think it was a Perisic header and it kind of hits Alisson. I don't know if it hits his face or his shoulder, but it kind of deflects off and hits the crossbar. But, you know, early signs, you know, early warnings what this team can do. Yeah. I, I think it was a little cameo of what we got to see in the second half. Um, mm. They they look really dangerous in, in different moments. And it just, I think with a better final ball, they could have, you know, given us real problems today. But in that first half, you know, they, they just really struggled. They, they looked quite good right up until that final third. And then they the passes were going astray and everything. But I think we started late in that first half to just contribute to our own downfall a bit. You know, some of the choices we were making right up until I think it was when they hit the crossbar, Elliot, you know, he had the ball and he was trying to be a little bit too clever when he was isolated from the rest of the team, ends up losing the ball and then spurs her away. So I, I think, again, the result is the most important thing today. But I, I think we just we looked like a team that doesn't have that confidence and belief by default. You know, over the last few years, we've, uh, you know, had that tag of mentality monsters. You know, we will always do what it what it takes to, to get that result. And I, I think we just looked a little bit shaky. And yeah, the, I think Spurs had a, a really good few moments there. Yeah, Andy, even though we were one goal up and even like we, we, we can all agree that the second half was significantly worse than the first half, but I never ever felt like 
Liverpool were like losing or controlling that game, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, as you said, look, a few minutes after the goal, Spurs had a, had a good two, three minute spell where we did look a bit nervy and a bit edgy and, and hit the uh, the bar, the post, whatever it was, as it come off Alisson. And then there was a shot that came in that Alisson spilled a little bit. And that was the point where I think we just needed to uh, get our composure back. And it, we, to be fair, we, we pretty quickly cleared the ball, got our shape back, got our structure in in and then we just sort of calmed ourselves down and although for a, a period up until the second goal I thought we, we had some sloppy moments here and there Whose yes. passing was was a big thing that hmm. I noticed and Cessignon, um, you know the penalty shot from um, on, on him as well from Trent Alexander-Arnold, I felt like he was beating him for pace Yeah I think that, to be honest I think it's, it's Trent and his positioning, he was getting getting caught the wrong side and making some poor decisions of, you know, whether you're going to win the ball in that situation or whether you're going to accept that your opponent's going to get there first and you've got to then set yourself for the next scenario, the next situation, what's going to, what he's going to do after that. And you've got to prepare yourself for what comes next. Um, yeah. I think there were some sloppy moments and, and some of the passing was at times it was a bit short, like hospital passes here and there in, on the whole, we were fairly controlled, and I think Spurs kind of probed, but they didn't really sort of put us under any undue pressure, and certainly not any kind of prolonged pressure, uh, other than you know a few moments here and there. So yeah, apart from that little nervous spell, it was it it was kind of um, a, a bit of a kind of scruffy scruffy game at times, and you know with nice moments and some scruffy moments. And I think what Dave mentioned is 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 very sort of true. This, that it's quite apparent watching us that our self-belief isn't there yet and our confidence yeah. isn't there yet. That We are not a team that are on the back of winning five, six, seven games on the bounce. We are scratching around for performances and scratching around for results, especially. So, um, you know, get, obviously getting it done is one thing, but there are some of these fundamentals, some of the basics within the game and the decisions we're making and where we're putting ourselves and what we're doing are things that we're still going to have to work on. and um, But for all of those things, that stuff, you can, for me, the things that we didn't do so well in the first half, there wasn't that many of them, they, they can easily be worked on. The things that weren't so good in the second half uh, might be a little bit more difficult, and that's probably more of an attitude approach than it is in terms of confidence. It really is. Kevin there saying Spurs have only one win against us in the last 10 years, by the way. Oh my God, I did not know that start of the day. You learn something new every single day. I think you're right. And I'll correct myself. Yes, it, it, it hit the post and not the crossbar, the shot. But yeah, it really did freak me out. Um, we're just, um, just going to give it a second because I think Dave, is he back? Sorry, I, Amazon guy came. <laughs> Mine came whilst the game was on. I was like, you yeah. timed it so well. But there you go, guys. This is what live podcasting is all about. Dave, I'm going to come to you. How were you feeling when, obviously, Liverpool take the lead, um, uh, you know, the, the, the shot that hits the post by Perisic and the growth and the belief in, in the Spurs players? And, you know, Andy kind of touched on, you know, things that could be ironed out and worked on with Liverpool. Uh, what do you make of that? Because I felt like, you know, some of the sh- loose passing and, you know, failing to win the second ball, it was almost like we were kind of, again, the architects of our own, own kind of, you know, 
failings, if you will. I won't say demise because we won, but we kind of make it hard for ourselves. Yeah, I think so. I, I just think that, you know, winning breeds that confidence, doesn't it? So yeah. we win the next game. Well, actually, in a normal season, forget the World Cup, <laughs> you know, but if you start to build up a few wins and then you kind of have that confidence which borderlines on arrogance you know where you just know you're going to get the results and so I think possibly that that looseness of the passing and whatever you know is just it's just born out of that nervousness but I think with always with these matches we come on right after the match is finished don't we and I wonder sometimes if you go back and watch the match again where you know what the result is you can take the emotion out of it I wonder if we look nervous or if it was just me watching it nervous. <laughs> you know, so I wonder if uh, Spurs' chances were actually good. But I think feel... they're magnified. I think they're magnified by what we've been watching from Liverpool in previous games. Exactly. I, I think we're almost taught this year that you know we're going to balls up and uh, you know we're we're going to lose out on the results or whatever. But no, I thought. Apart from those little sloppy bits, totally agree. I thought that first half, we, we generally controlled that whole game. But it was just these odd sloppy little moments. And I felt like, especially going into the second half, I felt like Spurs could not be that bad again. Because, again, first couple of thirds, I thought they were okay. But then when they got into our third, I, I, I didn't really feel that threatened by them. But I thought, again, their, their league position doesn't lie. So, you know, and also we know from Spurs this this year, for whatever reason it is, you know, they tend to go behind. So, you know, again, United had the same kind of form uh, a few years ago, I remember, when Mourinho was there and everyone was speculating, well, is, is it because, you know, he takes the handbrake off and then just lets them go and play? So I wondered that about Spurs today. But again, I, I just hope this... At the end of the day, I don't really care about that sloppiness now. We won. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> nice you put Dave, Dave Tattoo there. Exactly, Nina. The fans have lost confidence too. Yeah, okay. So it feels like it is a, you know, it's not just an individual thing. It might just be a collective with Liverpool fan base and obviously what they've been watching this season and some of like, you know, the, the individual errors that have been leading to us dropping points and, you know, losing games. Right. Um, before I get into the second goal, I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, that whole, um, uh, I saw a lot on social media about, oh, this is a penalty. It's a clear penalty. And of course, I'm talking about Trent on Sessignan. Was that a penalty for you two? Because to me, it just felt like two players going for it and you just kind of nudged him. Maybe I'm biased. Not, I'll let Andy go. Uh, yeah, not for me. He yeah. just he just leaned he he put his shoulder in leaned on him, his arm yeah. goes out which is you've got to be careful because in some situations some referees might make that decision you know might make that call so it, it is risky to put your arm out but I just think he leaned on him and he was assessing and went down looking for it so uh, there, there wasn't once they did you know the three four replays you could tell Avia had looked at that and thought there's just not enough in it for it to hit the threshold in order to um, pull the referee over to the to the monitor. And what about you, Dave? I thought, for me, to be honest, he was a bit silly, Trent. I, I thought it, it would have been incredibly soft, but he's given the referee a decision to make there. Sessignon was going nowhere, and he's just 
put his arm out onto his back. And I'm glad it wasn't a penalty. And I, I was honestly, I was cocked and ready to go. I was almost seething with impotent rage because if that had been given after what happened last season with Jota, where that was a blatant penalty, just waved away because that was two hands on the back, almost in the same position on the pitch. I, I was just like, oh, you motherfuckers, this is, this is conspiracy <laughs> but no I was glad to see it was waved away and it certainly if it had gone to VAR I, I, I'd have been quite angry about that as well because it wasn't a clear and obvious it was quite subjective he definitely hasn't pushed him enough to make him go over but you know with all these things I always wonder well if that's Harry Kane does that get given and so I just think Trent's I think he's struggling with PR this year not just his form but you know, everyone everyone seems to want to stick the boot in, you know, outside the Liverpool fan base. That Talk about that, actually, because something I noticed on my commentary was uh, Darwin Nunes, oh, he looks clumsy on the ball. By the way, I watched it on Sky Sports. Commentators, Martin Tyler and Gary Neville. Two players that were absolutely getting um, a, a new one torn were, of course, Darwin Nunes and his uh, allegedly um, uh, clumsy touches and stuff. And um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. The fucking bellends. I, I can't watch them anymore. I, I prefer to watch the, the American commentary, to be honest. So mm. I, I just, why the fuck have they got them two Muppets still commentating on our games? It, it does my head in. So it's just weird how they build up this perception of a player. But let's say about, about Trent first before I come to Nunes. I, I think... Teams are definitely targeting him now. <laughs> but I, I think it's because of this whole narrative. So the fact that they're actually trying to get down our right almost puts more pressure on him. So when he does stand up, when he gets a block in and or reads the ball well, he doesn't get any real praise for that. But then when someone does get away, you know, he, he, uh, he gets stick for that. So like I say, I think it's a PR thing and I'm not sure the midfield ever really helps him that much but I, I thought he was a little bit patchy as well so as much as they were targeting him and I was like oh you bastards you, you, you're doing this because the whole narrative I, I did think he, he was a little bit sloppy as well at times And what do you make of that day um, uh, Andy? Um, because the midfield is an issue, right? Because if you look at the left-hand side, it looked very cool and calm. I feel like Robbo always has it quite easy because he's got Thiago there on his side. And also, I've noticed that Darwin Nunes puts in a bit of a defensive shift as well now. And, uh, you know, in the past, he's had Mane there that's done the work. And I think Luis Diaz certainly does it as well. And then he's next to Virgil van Dijk. But on the right-hand side, you know, like at one point in the season, you had Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's playing left-back, left-wing, and trying to be an attacker. Yeah, I mean, we we weren't helping him mm. at all with the structure of the midfield and some of the things that we were asking him to do at times playing like as an inverted fullback stroke centre midfielder. We were taking away some of his best assets and exposing some of his weaker points, which is, you know, absolutely the opposite of what we need to do with him. I do feel like he he deals with one one V one situations when he stood up against a winger, he deals with them pretty well. It's more of I think it's the ball in the air and sometimes his positioning and his, his decision-making of when he can win the ball 
or where he puts himself and and sometimes get caught as well the wrong side of a player. Like they make the run and he's not alert to it and he gets caught the wrong side. Then his decision-making as well as how he deals with that situation, he does have a tendency to uh, to reach out and grab hold of opponents uh, and make some you know poor choices here and there. These, you know, I think what Dave said is right as well. You know, teams are clearly, clearly um, targeting him, and it is working the ball over to our left side to hit that long diagonal because there is more space and he doesn't have quite the same protection as Robertson does on on the other side of the pitch. So, and that makes sense for opponents because Robertson is a better defender than Trent. We have more protection that side, so why wouldn't opponents look to try and get at us? whole thing with Sky is, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm so glad that I'm over here in Germany because I've got Sky Germany and they just talk about the match. And you don't have the whole narrative spinning and entertainment that um, Sky in the UK uh, seem intent on spinning um, for whatever reason. And Martin Tyler should have been put out of the pasture a long, long time ago. Uh, Gary Neville, for me, a good pundit. In terms of giving analysis after a game, I don't like him as a co-commentator. Yes. Oh, but that's again that that's my choices. Sky love it. They they love the, the certain players. They'll be they'll big up certain players. They'll protect certain players, and they'll go after certain players. It's just what they do. They've done it for a long, long time. And it was Keys. My, uh, what's his face? Harry Hands Keys and uh, and the other one. It was Gray. Andy Gray, yeah. It was the same then. They had the players that they loved and they would always pick them up and they would always make excuses for them. And then there was players who they'd pick on and go after and managers the same. So it hasn't really changed. But for Trent, I, th- I think there's there's things he can do better and there's, you know, there's still more to work on there in terms of, for me, his decision-making of you know when when to go for the ball, when to set himself, that awareness as well. And just this season, especially for me, at times he looks like he's playing in a testimonial. You know, like as though he's got all the time in the world. He's got such incredible technique in terms of striking the ball, passing the ball. Sometimes it's as though, like I say, like it's a testimonial that everything's a walking pace, that he can just do whatever he pleases, and it's not always coming off. And maybe that's why he's been scratching around for form as well, because, you know, not everything's coming off for him this year and he's been having a bit of a tough time of it. And it's just the whole thing, the whole thing. It's all linked together. The whole team, you know, the structure, everything has not been working too well. And individual players have suffered as a, as a you know, as a consequence of it. And yeah, he's been one of them. He certainly has. And uh, let's, carry on talking about the game and you know we were speaking Andy you were speaking about howlers and how about this one by Dyer um you know uh, it's um a goal kick I think uh, by Alison uh Dyer heads it straight into the path path of Mosala who absolutely pounces on it he's going to eat that up all day but you know takes him um, a couple of touches before he puts it past Loris I mean how gorgeous and just at the perfect time as well because we were under quite a lot of pressure at that point, you know, and that, that goal came at 39 minutes. Yeah, it was a very nice timing, just before half-time as well. Took the wind out of Spurs' sails. Um, at that point, I was ready, at half-time, I was ready to um, to suggest this this would be called the Eric Dyer Appreciation Pod uh, because that was very, very generous of him. Uh, yeah, the long ball from Alisson, it was a nothing, really. 
Mm. Nothing ball, and he just blindly yeah. heads it, uh, and not even heads it with any pace either. He just takes. I mean, it was very, very generous of him. He takes all the the pace off the Nothing ball. Pace. Yeah, yeah. Cushions it into Salah, and and I, and I think <clears throat> the obviously the attention then the, and the focus goes on Dyer making the mistake, but. I think what shouldn't get lost in this as well is the uh, the quality of the finish from Salah because I, I for me he finishes that with a plum that that little dink over Lorries that was that was a thing of beauty so yeah very nice of them very generous of them um very kind of them and um, we definitely needed it and it was a, a nice little thing to go into half time with but um yeah for me what a lovely finish it really was. And Dave, um, uh, nice to see the opponents making defensive howlers and gifting yeah. things. We'll take I, I that. Was not, I was not expecting that from this Spurs side, to be honest. I think Conte was going nuts. In fact, from what we saw in the second half, I, I'm pretty sure he was. So the, the thing is, though, it, I don't feel like it was a huge error from Eric Dyer. You know, we've seen, well, you don't see it so much anymore, but certainly when the pass-back rule came in, you had defenders and they'd try and pass it back to the keeper and they'd underweight it too much and someone would nip in. You don't tend to see that much anymore, but I thought, I wasn't even sure if it was a header. It, It seemed to almost come off his shoulder, but even before he's touched it, you can see Mo is anticipating the mistake. Now, 99 times out of 100, he just either controls that or heads it away. But I think it's Mo's initial position that helps to accentuate what a big mistake that was because, you know, he's in the right position to then get in between uh, Dyer and the ball. And, you know, his first touch was great and then it just kind of bobbles up. He controls it with his knee. And as he's bearing down on Lloris, you can see him. He's shimmying his body. As if to say, you, you've you not, am I going to try and go round you or what? And then just that lovely chip into the far corner. I, I thought it was so, so good. And he made it look easy. But I was trying to think, there's very few players, maybe Bobby actually is, is the other player who, who I think would make that look as easy. But I think a lot of other players on that pitch don't score that goal. So yeah, it was so satisfying. Brilliant time to score. And at 2-0, especially this season, I wasn't comfortable, but it felt really, really good. It really did, it really did. And I love the fact that, you know, like you said, um, Marcel, I was anticipating that there could be a potentially a cock up there, call it striker's instinct, whatever, but we'll take it all day, every day. Right, um, any any thoughts on the first half before we move on to the second? Um, anything you want to share? Just to repeat what what I said, I I felt like as good as we were, I I felt like Spurs could not be as bad as they were in that first half. And that's not uh, (laughs) a Nostradamus-type prediction. That literally is the form of this season. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of how it turned out. But I was hopeful, more than expectant, that the amount that we showed in the first half, that we, we would come out and we would just control the game, from the off, you know, and Spurs would have a little bluster, but um, we, we'd show enough composure. So I was, I was wrong on that one, but 
<laughs> yeah, and we'll get into that. And Spurs um, not being their best in the first half is 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 a, a trend as as things stand with them, and they certainly improve in the second half. And Andy Boy did they? I mean. They came out with some fire. I don't know what Antonio Conte said to him, but you know, he strikes me as a very, very feisty man. I actually have a lot of time for him as well. And I have like a lot of respect for him just as, just as a coach in general. I think Spurs have done really well there, but 48 minutes, you know, make it, Ali making a save. And I think it was um, a dire header. Then 48 minutes, uh, Perisic rattles a crossbar again. But again, this is where I start, felt like we were showing some defensive frailties. Um, you know, a switch of play, Sessegnon to, to Perisic, who obviously um, hits the crossbar. But, um, you know, again, they, they came out with some intensity and some purpose. He absolutely did. I mean, the disappointing thing for me is that we, we should have expected that. We had to expect that. Because, as Dave said, you know, Spurs couldn't be as poor in the second half as they were in the first. In that first half, Spurs looked every bit of team who were missing, you know, three, four of their better players. And like you said, yeah, Conte is um, he's a is, is a very strange, angry little man. <laughs> as he as he um, as he showed on the touchline in the second half when he went over to our technical area and smashed the ball out of I think it was Pep Linder's hand. Is you know he's an odd, angry little man. But he, yeah, he was going to be like you, very very respectful of him as a coach. So he was always going to get into them at halftime and look for a reaction in the second half. And they're the home team. They're a good side. You've got to expect them to come out and at least show something at the beginning of that second half. So the the fact that we came out and it looked like, I'm not sure whether we'd been drinking brandy or champagne or something at halftime, we, we definitely weren't quite at the races. They were on it. And we just struggled to get ourselves going. And and what I, for me became a real theme of the entire second half, and the thing that I mentioned in, earlier on, is the things that you can work on in in training with players. Sorry, just have a drink there. Is in terms of you know your positioning and your reading of the ball and your decisions that you're going to make in certain situations. What you're not coaching, and what you've got to expect from people is that attitude and that desire and that will to win uh, duels. And Spurs were first to every second ball, it felt like, in that second half. Yes. That's yes. how it started, and that's how it seemed to go throughout the game. They were first to all the second balls. And we won, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of the first challenges, you know, in terms of heading the ball away, getting a foot in. But then Spurs would win the next one. And we, that, as a consequence, throughout that second half meant we struggled to get any kind of control because we could not seem to keep the ball. We couldn't get a foot on the ball. We couldn't seem to string half a dozen passes together. And and that was a disappointing thing for me, is that we weren't, it's like mentally we weren't quite on it. We weren't tuned in the way that Spurs were. They were a lot more sort of aggressive and they were looking to win those first. And those if they couldn't win the first ball, they're going to win the second ball. And they were winning them second balls, and we weren't anywhere near it. It's been something that's happened an awful lot this season, and it was a worrying trend throughout that second half. We were second to second balls. It's for me. It's that's that's my concern with that second half. Is we've got to be able to do something about that because we 
you're going to have to expect reactions from teams. Having done well in the first half and got ourselves in a good position, you have got to expect a reaction from the opposition. And we've got to be able to deal with that reaction. Part of that is being aggressive enough and willing enough to put it in to fight and battle and scrap and win. If you can't win the first, you're going to win the second. And then be able to get your foot on the ball, show your composure and take control. And we were well off in terms of that for me in that second half. Absolutely. And Dave, I'd like to get your thoughts on Spurs, um, you know, bright spark to the second half. And obviously it was failing. I mean, I've put in my notes as well, you know, failing to, um, we just couldn't get out of our own half, you know, and, you know, failing to get the second pass. Everything just looked really sloppy. They looked really sharp. I was really grateful that we had a two goal cushion. Um, we weren't we weren't great. Um, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, they they they, they hit the woodwork twice. Um, uh, I think once was by Perisic. I can't remember who the second one was, but it was literally within a minute after. Scary, scary stuff. And then you just see a moment of brilliance again from our forward men where they all kind of link up and it's quite nice. Bobby Nunes, um, Bobby plays the ball to Nunes. Nunes squares it to Mosala, forces a very, very easy routine save from Loris, you know, could have had an trick there. But your thoughts on the, on the beginning of that half? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I had my head in my hands and I was like, oh God, this is going to be a terrible second half. This is going to be really, really stressful. And I looked at the clock and it was 50 minutes. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. They seem to have about three really good chances. And like you say, hit the post a couple of times. And I was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, and it, it seemed to be that just everything, even when we could get a foot in, it, it would go to their players. So we never really got a respite, you know, that was uh, for any sustained time. You know, we, we just didn't, weren't able to put our foot on the ball and string a few passes together. It was, it just everything seemed to drop. And I'd like to see the stats. You know, I like, you know, to understand who's run the most, you know, in these games and, because from the eye test, it just looked in that second half like they just had more players. And, you know, quite often they, it turns out, oh, that's because they've, they've been running a lot more. So I think even so with that, I felt like with Mo and Nunes up top, I felt like, you know, it could go either way. I felt either of us could score. I, I thought, you know, we could catch them on the counter-attack. And Nunes, he... He doesn't look as silky, but he almost reminds me of Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry used to love, you know, hanging on that left touchline. And, you know, I I just thought he he looked like a really good outlet. And I don't know what Tyler and Neville are are smoking, to be honest. If they're 
thinking he looks clumsy. I mean, again, you can't you can't play against a team like this if you're just a, a clumsy donkey. I think it's just that you know for the eye test, he he does look like a bit unconventional. But for years, you know, people thought that about Peter Crouch, and you know, he's just an unbelievably effective player. So yeah, I I thought Mo, to be honest, could have done better with that chance that kind of Nunes carved out for him. I thought it was a fairly weak shot, wasn't it? Yeah. And then also Nunes uh, did really well. He cut inside, and I thought he's, he's giving himself all the goal to aim at, and then it, and then just ends up kind of p-rolling it through to Lloris. So we did have individual moments, but yeah, yes. they, I, I thought in terms of sustained pressure, I felt like that goal was coming. Yeah, it really was. And uh, Andy, I'll come to you because there was a man on that bench that I was glad that, you know, he might not be in the starting lineup. And of course, Conte makes a sub, but Kulicevsky and Doherty on for Emerson Royale and Sessignon. Instant impact by Kulicevsky. I mean, whips in a ball. Kane just slots it past Alisson. It was coming, though, wasn't it? Because they had an array of chances. And, you know, you, you knew it was coming. You could sense it. It was definitely coming, without a shadow of a doubt. And I mean, a, a part of it is kind of the match situation, isn't it? The fact that Spurs, as we've seen on the graphic here in the live chat, you know, Spurs XG is higher than ours. I think that's because we had a 2-0 lead and then Spurs are going to try and find their way back into it. And they're creating chances upon chances upon chances upon chances. So had they <clears throat> took the lead and then we'd come back and won 2-1, it may be a completely different the scenario and it's that is you know the match situation sometimes dictates that and that was it Spurs were looking for a way back into it what we were doing was seeding um, territory we were seeding possession <clears throat> we were second to everything so it was inviting more and more and for them it was just cross after cross after cross and I'd seen on the uh, the Sky Germany heat map for Eric Dyer of all players uh, in that second half Nearly all of his, uh, well over half of his touches were in our half of the pitch down that right-hand side. And it was That was where they were setting themselves up and they were whipping the ball in. And they were whipping some nice, you know, nice balls in with the curl in behind the defence, the difficult to yes. deal with. They had us on the back foot. They were building that pressure. And you did have that feeling it was coming. And, and in fairness, like I said earlier, look, perhaps Kanate could have got a little closer to Kane. But for me, it's it's a nice, it's a good run from Kane. He times his run really well on the angle. The ball is a nice is set up for him, and it's and it's a good finish. Yeah, it takes a little nick, I think, off uh, off Kanate going in. There's not much Allison can do with that, or there's nothing really that Allison can do with that because it goes in the one place that he can't get to it. So you can't um, you can't begrudge them getting the they're getting the goal because they more than deserved it. It was, it was just then. Okay, what we really needed was to find a reaction ourselves. The way the Spurs found a reaction at halftime, we needed to find that, and and but we didn't. So what had been built into us that goal and that goal was just the pattern of the entire second half. And just briefly, I'd watched um, Aston Villa against Man United earlier in the afternoon. Villa had also gone two goals up and then United had built pressure and got themselves a goal. But Villa were always dangerous on the counter-attack. And the difference was that second half for them is they got that third goal. 
And once they got that yes. third goal, that was it. And and for me, that was what I felt that we needed. We needed that third goal to be able to just kind of take that pressure away and can't get back on top of things and get control of the game again. But we never did that. And that was the thing then, you know, once that goal get, goes in, we just really, really struggled to get any kind of control and, and really sort of relief any pre- relieve any pressure from ourselves. So it was, um, yeah, it, it's it's just a good goal. That's the thing. It's just a good goal. Uh, and it's just disappointing that, that we invited the, the, the entire second half situation on ourselves. Hmm. Yeah, I get that. I get that completely. Um, and Dave, I'll come to you. Um, I would like to get your thoughts on Harry Kane's goal, that man scoring. We don't really like him on this podcast or Anfield Index in general, or just a just an average football fan who you know is not a Spurs fan. Um, but yeah, obviously he gets the goal. Um, uh, Conte's instant sub impact. Um, talk to me about that because I, I think it was definitely coming. I could sense it. Yeah, it was coming. When it did come, though, I was a little bit disappointed. And it's mm. really because of the high standard that Ibu set. You know, he, he was just a monster in the game. And when it happened in real time, I thought, I, I don't understand what's happening. I watched the replay like three or four times. And I'm like, this time he's going to get a block in here. <laughs> but I think it was just, honestly, a perfectly weighted pass. Mm. And it was just... He struck it perfectly, and I, I don't like Harry Kane. I don't like, you know, how he gets a, a pass from the diving. You know, it's it's like De Bruyne as well, isn't it? Oh, he's clever. Yeah. You know, for some reason, certain players are clever. Others are, are ruining the game. Mm. Um, you know, so, but I thought today, I, I didn't really see a lot of that. So I thought I'll give him a pass today. I just thought it was a brilliant, brilliant finish. And, uh, yeah, Ali was absolutely brilliant as well. Just there's no way he's saving that though. So yeah, just a little bit disappointed, and then you're thinking, oh, for fuck's sake, <laughs> come on! You know, again, I was just thinking for the first half, I wanted to see that first half performance back. You know, Spurs were playing higher up the pitch, you know, yes. and we seem to struggle to wake up to that. I don't know what it is, you know, but you'd think the there's enough experienced players on the pitch that recognise what's happening. And you think, right, they're, they're playing higher up the pitch. We've got Nunes and Mo up top. Surely that's going to create space for us. But we just really, really struggled. Uh, you know, the headers seem to be weak headers uh, away. And again, we were just inviting that pressure on ourselves. So, yeah, um, like I say, begrudgingly, just have to say it was a, a really, really good goal by them. Yeah, I've got a comment here from Dave. Um, Dave or C. Cop, um, uh, Tiago's comments here. When we lost control of the game, we were vulnerable. We lost control of the game. The team suffers because it was counter after counter after counter. We were not dominant anymore in the second half. Yeah, um, and that was something that maybe you'd expect Liverpool to be doing as well. If they're so far high up the pitch, then, you know, surely a gorgeous pass from Thiago or Trent or somebody to just release one of our front men. And Dave, I'll stick with you because Jurgen Klopp obviously anticipated the situation felt like he needed some kind of shoring up. So what did you make of his changes? Hendo and Jones come on for Elliot and Bobby. I thought... Uh... 
I, to be honest, I thought Bobby was looking pretty tired today. Uh, and in particular, that second half, the ball just wasn't sticking to him. And I thought maybe not so much with Jones. I know he played okay midweek, but I thought with Henderson, you know, he, he can be good at just getting people to calm down a bit and then, you know, controlling the game, doing his sideways passes and stuff, finding that ball out on the right, you know, and he, he curls it round to find Mo. I thought this this is a good substitution. I'm feeling pretty good about this. I have to say, I thought Henderson was terrible. When he oh, came he was awful, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm quite happy to praise him. I, I think he, he has been good at, at times, you know, over the years for us, definitely. But yeah, today he just seemed to be, uh, he was almost, he was almost Nunez level of uh, being an agent of chaos. I, I think it, w- there was a moment where we uh, seemed to get our heads and we were playing some really nice stuff. Again, just oh, well, we had a few passes together and he's the one that loses it. And then he just fucking plays it to no one. <laughs> And then we're on the back foot again. I'm like, oh, come on, dude. What are you doing? So I remember it was about 84 minutes or something. And Gary Neville goes all Liverpool are trying to see out the game. Uh, that would, you know, wouldn't recommend it. And we're just playing it to each other's short little passes. And then yeah. he's the one that loses it. And I'm like, thinking, oh, shit. Because it was just nice for us to actually have the ball. Yeah. yeah um, I- I'm completely with you. Um, Dave Tattoo here. Um, with a comment in Discord, second half Spurs players got closer to ours. Most passes to Reds had a Spurs player next to him. Maybe bad decision on the pass. Um, also great a tactical um uh, switch up by Antonio Conte as well. And I, and I felt like as well, Andy, I'd like to get your thoughts on on the the subs that Jurgen Klopp made. Um, the the first two initially. Um, what did you make of them? And um, yeah, I didn't think Hendo was really great. I felt like he wasn't press resistant. Um, but again, it could be largely down to the fact that Spurs were actually crowding our players. I mean, in fairness, Henderson's not a particularly press-resistant player. What he does sometimes do when he comes on is try and get people fired up. Uh, you know, moving, you know, get stuck into some challenges here and there. And and I think, to be honest, I think we kind of needed something like that. You know, someone to do that. Because wake us up a little bit and, and start getting stuck into them because, like you said, you know, that whole thing of the second half was being second to the second balls, but he never really sort of did that. I can I can um, accept him being brought on if you're going to put him on the, the right because although we were often 4-3-3 in possession and that was mostly in the first half, in the second half we didn't seem to be in possession too much. So we were just 4-4-2 out of possession and it was nullifying Nunes because he was just putting in a shift working backly, uh, backwards most of the time on the left wing. And I felt that was a waste. And that, for me, the subs came way too late. They needed to be made a good 15 minutes before then. Uh, Bobby looked gassed early in the second half. For me, if we're going to be 4-4-2 most of the time, particularly out of possession, we might as well have just brought on um, Costas on the left. At least he will do that job, run up and down, and it could release Nunes. And at least we then, for a counter, at least we've got that threat in behind with Mo and Nunes running into the space in behind them because they were quite they pushed quite far up the pitch. So at least we'd have something. And if it's Hendo on the right, then fine. Um, so, yeah, Curtis, he did have a, a decent game midweek. But, yeah, like I said, that, that would have been my change. 
And I, but I felt that the you know the changes came way too late, and that's been a bit of a thing this season for Klopp. He's some of his team selections haven't been too great, and his management of, of game situations have not been good this season. He's not, just like the players; he's just not having a great time of it this season. Uh, so I thought it was a questionable call, and and even worse was was yet to come in terms of substitutions because he did that thing that um, he used to do mm. late on bringing on the third centre back and it's you know the backs backs against the wall um hang on for dear life uh, yeah talk to me about that because god i hate that substitution i hate that substitution i really hate it because so many times it used to be joel matip that would come on and be like okay here we go we're just gonna have to try and hang on for dear life now and it would be so difficult and 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 it didn't always work out so yeah not a fan of the subs not a fan of subs. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of that as well because I was really scratching my head then thinking when Nunes is off, Dave, and obviously Gomez comes on. And also, um, Andy's just touched on there that he's not a fan of, uh, you know, a defensive, you know, it's almost like we're not going to get a goal. So let's just sacrifice one of our strikers and bring on a defender. To be fair, we couldn't get out of our half, but the player that he brings on, like if it's a firing in form, um, you know, somebody who's very, very assured in, in some of their past games, and that kind of defender comes on, you you maybe have a bit more like kind of confidence or, or something. But, you know, he's bringing on like, I'm going to say, you know, a low on Joe Gomez in yeah. a high pressure situation. I, I think I think the problem is with us is we're just not that team who can really dig out that that defensive display. So, you know, if you go back to like some of Mourinho's sides, you know, and at Chelsea, Inter Milan and whatever, he brings on a defender for an attacker and you think that's right. No one's scoring today. You know, they're, they're so well drilled defensively, but that, that isn't our strength. So I agree. I just felt like that was just inviting pressure on us. And I felt like Nunes looked a bit knackered. I mean, Christ, I'd love to see his running stats. He, he ran his socks off today, and I think he was brilliant. But, um, yeah, when Gomez came on, I mean, he, he's had a very patchy season, hasn't he? He's, he's looked brilliant, like the game against City, absolutely yep. amazing. And then other games, he's looked woeful. I mean, the, the Napoli away game is going to live long in the memory. So, yeah, it just felt like it was almost, not, not throwing up the white flag, but it was almost giving up on trying to score that other goal and just sitting off, uh, just sitting on what we had. Now, the result tells us it was the right call. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and it, so you've got to kind of go with that. But... Um, it, it just felt like it was it was not a, a normal move for us to make. But again, you know, we're missing Diaz, we're missing Jota, you know, some of the attacking talent that we've been deprived of. You know, is is we're talking about what Spurs don't have. You know, we we've got more probably missing, or or at least as many. So yeah, I, I'm kind of I, I wasn't happy about it when it happened, but like I say, the the kind of end result sort of says that it was the right decision, I think. Yeah. And then, of course, um, the fourth official holds up the minutes and I think there's four minutes of injury time and you're absolutely gassing at this point because literally Spurs are throwing everything but the kitchen sink at Liverpool, Dave. And then, obviously, Jürgen Klopp makes another sub and the only attacker we have on the pitch, Salah, comes on for Ox. Um, I... 
I was a bit concerned about this one. Okay, there was maybe like three minutes left, but you only literally need a second like for one of them chances to go in. I was just very, very concerned at the fact that it was Ox that came on because I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, it makes life a lot easier for Spurs knowing that there's nobody there behind them who is a threat, which means they can be more aggressive and push forward and not worry about anything behind them. Even yeah. if he was to take off Salah, maybe I would have maybe have gone with like a Cavalli. I don't know. I didn't like the fact that he took off his only attacker. It worked out in the end, but it could have been costly. Yeah, and he he's so bloody strong, isn't he? You know, especially for the size of him and, and so quick. I, I never see a drop off in pace from him, you know, even right at the end there. he, I, I said Nunes looked a bit shattered, but I didn't think Mo did. I don't think he ever does. Um, so, you know. because he doesn't I, eat bread. <laughs> well, maybe I should start doing that. But um, whatever it is, I mean, he, he's just in incredible shape, isn't he? And again, just what an amazing season. Uh, you know, despite everyone saying, oh, yeah, he's not the same since he's signed his contract. Yeah, no, the whole team has not been firing and, and he's still performing. He's still still chipping in with his assists. You know, he's still banging in the goals. So I, I was the same. And, and the thing is, you know, we haven't seen like peak ox for what, getting on for four or five years now? You know, there was a time, probably 2018-ish, where I thought, yeah, this this guy looks amazing. But just the injuries he's had have just taken their toll. And I, I think he's just seeing out his contract and we'll just let him go in the summer. Um, as with Cater, presumably, um, that's if he ever plays for us again and, and mm. it, it isn't just injured constantly. So, yeah, it, it did seem strange. And I did wonder, well, now we're not going to have that ball stick with us. But... I was kind of feeling, you know, the romantic in me was thinking, well, ex-Arsenal player playing against Spurs, you know, I kind of had, had that feeling it could be just a, a boot away, you know, long ball, catch them off off guard and, and just get in. But I don't know, I don't, did Ox touch the ball? <laughs> I'm not actually sure he did. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought it was great. In in you know, and I'll come to Andy on this. And in fairness to him as well, he did have a shorter time to impact. I think the stat that absolutely disgusted me was when he came on against Nottingham Forest for fifteen minutes, and he had one one touch of the ball or, or something. And I was absolutely mortified at that. But I mean, what did you make of him um, that that sub towards the end? Um, were you okay with it? Um, how did you feel about Mosla? I mean, it got to the point where I think even Hugo Lloris could have come up top, and uh, you know put some threat on our goal and there'd be nobody there to kind of, um, you know, to, to pounce be honest, on. Go on. I was going to say, sorry, to, to be honest, with a couple of minutes left, I think it was just there really to break up the play, eat up a little bit of time. He came on and for two minutes chased, uh, chased down the defenders to make it, you know, a little bit uneasy of them delivering the ball. Uh, up to their players who were crossing the ball in uh, our team who were camped on the edge of our box. So uh, there, there isn't, uh, for me, there's not really too much to say. It was it, it was more of the whole pattern of that second half. It was uh, just, yeah. And, uh, and and like I said before, I felt that but the first change we needed to, needed to make had to be much earlier in that second half. And we had to we had to really relieve Nunes of his duties on the left and, and push him as a threat on the counter attack in behind. Uh, and then, 
yeah, who knows? Who knows? Maybe we wouldn't have been able to do something that would have relieved a little bit of that pressure. But I mean, we we literally survived by the skin of our teeth. Um, almost was it virtually the last kick of the game where the the ball flashes across the goal and, and just goes wide. So you know, yeah, it, it it was a very very uncomfortable second half. Very uncomfortable, and and yeah, seeing us seeing us um, get deeper and deeper and deeper to to the point where we're, we're you know our back four are practically oh sorry our back five are practically stood on Allison's toes. Yeah, it yes. was. It wasn't. It wasn't good viewing. It was definitely not good viewing. And like I say, I definitely aged a bit in that second half. Yeah, I don't think it was. Obviously, the second half was anything great. But um, Kieran touched on all this as well that we were kind of fortunate to kind of walk away with, um, you know, three points there. And I'll, you know, will happily take it. And also the Reds winning on the, you know, away from home, which obviously is a big plus. My word, it's November, and we've already just got it now. But. Do, do you think, I mean, I want to ask you both, I mean, do you think this could potentially be like, I don't know, like a defining moment in terms of their psyche? Because like you said, they've not had the confidence. They've not been able to see out games. Um, you know, they've not managed to win on the road. So it's the first one under their belt. I mean, do, do, do you think this could be like, how many times have we said this, but could this be a turning point? Um, I'd, I'd like to think so. I'd certainly like to think so. Um. <sighs> There Again, is something about just, winning ugly, right? There is, there is, and that was definitely that second half was as ugly as you, as it gets. Yeah, it it, it was but ugly. Um, look, it's it's seventeenth um, of May was the last time we won a Premier League game away from home, and that coincidentally was against Southampton. So maybe you know maybe there's something written in the stars for that because they're next our, our next opponents. If anything, maybe that um, maybe the Napoli performance was a little bit of a turning point for us, where we, you know, we really come together against a really good informed side with Canate and Virgil as there's two centre backs, and that's you know the, just that strong pairing at the back that makes a big difference for us that deals with the pressure better than any of the other pairings that we have available. And and getting through this, well, if we can back this put this result up. With a with a decent performance and actually win against Southampton, then then maybe yeah we maybe we can see it as a bit of a turning point. But um, it's it I, yeah, there's been a few false dons so far, including you know we've won nine nil and seven one. It's been a mad season. So I, I yeah I don't want to start getting into all the cliches, but um, yeah I don't I don't really want to um, I don't want to. I don't want to go too too uh, too heavy on um, on proclaiming yes that's it we've turned a corner now because um, we seem to have uh, come across a lot of corners this season already. Yeah, and also we literally played Derby, then it's Southampton, and then we break for the World Cup again. So it's just like, well, you know, players would be going away to the World Cup. But Dave, what about you? I mean, winning ugly. Talk to me about it. Like I say, I'm so happy. I'll take winning ugly all day long at the minute that that's the most important thing you know if we put on a scintillating display today you'd be thinking well where have you been all this season you know we've seen this sort of starting lineup a a few times so for me it's kind of the best result we could hope for 
I, I definitely don't think it's it's turned the corner just yet. I think that, you know, the fact is with Derby coming up next, you'd expect to put the kids out then. Southampton, well, on paper it seems easier, but those those are the teams that we really struggle against. You know, we do better against the better teams. So I, I think I'll I'll feel really good. I don't care about the, the Derby game, to be honest. Play the kids and whatever the result is, it is. That Southampton game, for me, becomes a, an absolute must-win. You know, it, it's been a funny season. I mean, we're two points behind Chelsea, weirdly, who spent all the money. <laughs> you know, so I don't know what their excuse is, uh, you know, uh, considering where we are as a squad and the injuries that we've had and not replacing certain players and what have you. So I think, unfortunately, th- this thing with the World Cup coming up, it's just never been dealt with before. So. I feel like some of the better teams are going to, you know, potentially lose out on players. They're going to come back fatigued. It's it's going to be very weird because normally, you know, before the World Cup, there's about a month or something while players and teams are going away on training camps and everything. You know, players are getting coming back from injury, but they're doing everything they can to get ready for the tournament. Here, you know, it's straight off onto the plane, quick tournament, and then back into the Premier League for Christmas. So. It's going to be just a weird, weird season. And I think, again, hopefully we'll get that win against Southampton. But it really depends what our squad looks like when everyone comes back. You know, if we, let's say, worst case, you know, Trent picks up an injury and Canate pick up an injury and then we're deprived of them going into January, you know, it it looks very different. Whereas the other case scenario, again, do what you want, Southgate. Uh, don't take Trent. I'd sooner he went to the beach for a month or something, chilled out for a bit, re-energised and come back. So I think it, it, we put ourselves in a good position to turn that corner. I think that's how I feel, is that you know if we win three, four, five games on the bounce, then we can make a real push for the top four. But... I tell you what, it's going to be really hard to break into that top four this year because Newcastle will only strengthen in January with all the funds that they've got, and they're looking pretty good at the minute. So, yeah, we we can only control what we can do. And like I say, I think I feel like considering the the season we've had, the timing of this is brilliant. And also, I'd have to say that, you know, I think Nina, when I spoke to you last. I said, just play the kids against Napoli. I don't care. We're going to finish second. The result does not matter at all. I was completely wrong on that. Because you can see, I feel like without that result in midweek, you don't get that. They don't kick on like that, yeah. So, and that's a weird thing that with our clock teams, that we don't seem to do well with a good rest. We actually seem to do well when the matches come thick and fast. So again, that's just another variable with this whole World Cup coming. Watch this space. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he played the senior players against Napoli as well. In hindsight, because I was I was of the same um, thought process as you, Dave. Uh, before I let you go, who was or is your man of the match? Because it was, you know, there were some good performances there. I thought, you know, Thiago was exceptional. Fabinho was exceptional. I thought, you know, Salah was just incredible. Darwin found himself. Ibrahima Kanate, absolute monster. You can even give a shout out to Alison for, you know, producing all those saves and also having a few wobbles. 
then the first half giving them a bit of confidence but you know again it was like a, I felt like it was like a team response of getting through the dark period so who's your man of the match? I think Alisson again you know he for me has been our player of the season so far I think he's been consistent. Apart from, I don't know what the hell happened when mm-hmm. Kane nearly dispossessed him. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. He seemed to see him and then sort of forget that he was there. <laughs> I don't know if he did like a senior moment or whatever. But also, you know, where was the shout for man on from all the rest of the players as well? So, you know, he could have looked a bit silly, got away with that one. But apart from that, I thought he was brilliant today. I thought, I actually thought Fabinho was a, a little bit, kind of patchy I thought he, he again looked like he was running in mud or something uh, you know I thought he was a little bit dodgy today but it's got to be big Ebu I just thought he made us look so much more solid at the back there and you know probably if it wasn't him I think Nunez is in with the shout as well I think right from the first uh, few minutes of that first half when he escapes down the the left hand side and then forces Larice into a, a one-handed save I, I thought he again showed that he's going to be a real wild card for us and you know if we can just figure out what he's going to do that will be a good thing but the opposition definitely don't know what he's going to do so yeah but no he's got to go to big ebu like say absolute defensive rock but the way he stepped up into midfield and was pressing in midfield as well that first half i, I thought he was immense he really was. And I think a lot of people are absolutely loving Ibrahima Kanate. There's a tweet here just to back up what you've said there. Kanate won 88% of his aerial duels today, an absolute colossus. So, you know, a lot of people are giving Ibrahima Kanate a lot of love. And Andy, I'll come to you. Who's your man of the match? I'm glad you mentioned about Alisson. Um, definitely our best player this season. And again, mm-hmm. So many saves again today. But yeah, he actually has a habit of doing this. He invites players on. And then at the last possible second, goes to kick the ball. And it drives me nuts when he does it. Because he, he knows the players there. He just, for some reason, he just does this. It's like, I don't know, maybe he just loves the danger. Maybe maybe it's just, the, there's something in that for him. Um, but yeah, the, Alisson, <clears throat> definitely uh, in with the shout, with the saves again. Like I said, our best player this season, definitely. But I've also got to go for uh, Big Ubu. Um, and another dominant display, really. I mean, and he's coming up against an accomplished centre forward, one of the, one of the best uh, centre forwards in the game. Much as I don't like Harry Kane, I have to uh, admit how 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 good he is, and yeah. and you know how much of an all round player he has become in the last year or so. Mm. And yeah, he. That chance in early in the first half where um, Alisson saved it onto the post, I thought Kane actually turned Ibu a little bit too easily. And like we said, possibly you could argue he could get a little bit closer to Kane on the goal. But other than that, he was he was everywhere. He was immense. He was a rock at the back. He won so, so much. Stepped in, stepped up headed it away, cleared it away, put his body on the line and just kept striving forward. And yeah, my man of the match today, without a doubt. Oh, it's a sweepstake for, um, a clean sweep for um, Ibrahima Kanate because usually I would give it to a player that gets two goals and gets, you know, the winning goal, if you will. However, um, the work that 
Ibrahima Kanati had to put in in the first half and certainly in the second half, it was a continuous kind of churn of things that he had to do. And as a whole, I thought he performed his, you know, his role incredibly well, just a few, you know, a few moments. And, you know, like you said, Kane is a fabulous striker and um, it, I, I could sense it coming. So, yeah, Ibrahima Kanate is my man of the match. Really, really good individual performances as well. Guys, let us know your thoughts. Who was your man of the match? Why? Also, feel free to comment about the podcast. And um, What do you feel about the result? Do you think winning ugly is now, you know, is this a turning point? We'd love to hear your thoughts. A massive thank you to everyone that called in, Kevin and Justin. A huge thank you to all you guys that joined us live on Discord and been interactive in the chat. We really, really appreciate it. A massive thank you to both Dave and Andy. Before I let them go, I want to get some plugs. Andy, where can people find you on social media? I'm on Twitter, uh, at Andy Armchair, still uh, not been doing anything else. Um, like you said, been on a bit of a sabbatical. Um, maybe at some point I'll get to able to write about all of that and um or into the whys and the wherefores and all the rest of it but um just one final thing from me is my son said something that i thought was great and he said liverpool have been like robin hood in the premier league this season taking points from the rich and giving them away to the poor so please don't be doing that with southampton after uh, after a hard fought 2-1 win today I absolutely love that. That is brilliant. Um, probably the best way to summarise Liverpool this season. Your your son is an absolute genius. Um, I love that. Um, and Dave, I'll come to you. Where can people find you on social media? And is there anything you can plug? So I just want to say that um, I agree the Robin Hood thing works particularly well for Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so doubly good there yep so you can get me on twitter at seattle dojos and uh stuff i've been doing recently so you can get me on comics in motion uh this coming week i think it's on friday it's going to drop have a discussion about the first season of house of the dragon and i've got scott chandler on there so ai contributor uh we have a good old chat there with a, with a couple of other people as well and on the vhs strikes back uh, this week, we're going to release the big Lebowski. And then next week, going into the World Cup, it's Mike Bassett, England manager. Wonderful stuff. Do give both of these guys a follow. Do check out um, Dave's podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. For my part, um, I will be back with another Euro incision tomorrow because obviously it's a Champions League draw. I wonder who the Reds get. Exciting stuff back in Europe. Um, but yep, I'll be back with that one. And yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, Take care. Till next time, up the Reds. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.